Well, good morning and uh, welcome to the jar. That sounded weird, didn't it? Good morning. Uh, good morning. Welcome to the jar. We're so glad that you're here today. And uh, I'm glad that you chose to hang out with us. I just wanted you to know that I did not enter free agency, even though I was a stud uh, in basketball. Um, many of you uh, probably have heard that LeBron is going to South Beach, but uh, I've decided that I'm not. So uh, you're stuck with me. I'm sure you're all relieved uh, about that. Well, this morning I want to start off uh, by giving you a word and then actually having you do the opposite of that word. So I'm going to give you a word, and then I want you to shout out uh, what the opposite of that word kind of looks like. And uh, we'll just do a little rehearsal to see if we can understand this, okay? And uh, let's go. Uh, black. Wow. You guys, you guys should be like road scholars or something like that, you know what I mean? Derek said that you would not do well at this at all, but I had faith in you. Um, okay, let's try a couple more. Uh, big? Good. Short? Okay. Uh, ceiling? Some of you got confused there. No one, no one said anything. All right. Uh, Democrat? Be nice. Democrat? Look at that. Some of you are like, ah, okay. Crux, you know, whatever. And if we'd have done it the other way, you'd have done the same thing. Okay, uh, one more. Good, bad, yeah. You know, the opposition of good and bad is something that I've been kind of thinking about and processing throughout this week. And um, it kind of lifted up a question for me, and the question is this. What is good? I mean, when it comes right down to it, what really is good. You know, the Bible makes a very interesting statement in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, in uh, 2 Timothy. And this is what it says. And it'll come up on the screen. Let's read it together. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, not lovers of the good. Notice that last sentence there. People will be lovers of themselves, not lovers of the good. You see, most of the time, just like when I ask you that question, when we think of the opposite of good, we think bad. But what this scripture clearly kind of tells us is that the opposite of good is selfishness. You just get focused on yourself, thinking of yourself. So often, we have to ask ourselves, should I go ahead and do this good thing or not? Should I allow myself to get involved in this need that's going on or not? Should I walk across the road to help out a neighbor or to watch a neighbor's kid or to do some kind of help with their yard or not? Because the basic question that you have to ask yourself this morning, am I a lover of selfishness or am I a lover of goodness? You see, the greatest challenge that you and I have is between goodness and selfishness. That's why we have to ask ourselves this goodness challenge. Will I be selfish or will I be good? That's kind of your first blank there. Will I be selfish or will I be good? Will I put more of my time and interest into myself or will I put more interest in others? In the Bible, there's a story about a young guy who was very wealthy and affluent. And he thought he was good. Uh, I kind of get the idea that he was the kind of guy who wore an Armani kind of robe, you know, and some Italian crocodile sandals. And uh, he drove around in his four-wheel uh, chariot with spinners going, you know, with a big old bass bumping, boom, 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 you know, as he's going through. And I kind of get this sense that he was kind of like Brad Pitt, and he had these abs of steel. And 
that he was tan. And from the outward appearance, this guy looks like he has it all together. All together. But it seems like there was just something inside him that wanted him to question, I wonder really how good I am. I wonder how good I am. And so he comes to Jesus one day, and uh, this is what he asks. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's a really good question for him to ask. I mean, it's a question that many of us ask all the time. What happens after I die? Um, Will I go to heaven? Will I live forever? How good do you really have to be to get into heaven? And am I good enough? And what does good mean? How good really is good? And this guy, from everything that we can see, he's like a high achiever. He is a big success religiously, socially, financially. He's at the top of the food chain. And he realizes that he has always had to do something to receive some type of honor. For him to achieve success, he's always had to do something. And he wants to know now, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? But Jesus does something very, very interestingly. You think that Jesus would just answer him, but he doesn't. And Jesus does this time and time again. He doesn't answer him, but he asks him another question. He says this, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So right away, you get a sense that Jesus has a different definition of goodness than what many of us have. In other words, there are two very different goods that Jesus is talking about. Just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever been in a car with a teenager before? Raise your hand. You guys need Prozac, don't you? Huh? I mean, you're nuts. I choose not to go as much as I can without a teenager. So that's why I'm praying that Jesus comes back before Jordan, you know, kind of hits that age. Well, have you ever been in a car with a teenager and you're listening to some music when all of a sudden the teenager says, Hey, turn that up! And you turn it up and you, you turn it up and you start listening to it and you're going, what, what in the world is that? And you turn it up louder because you think, maybe it'll get better and it doesn't. You see, what the whole issue is there, that their understanding of what good is and what your understanding of what good is, is two totally different things. Well, the same thing happens here. When Jesus hears this word good, he's astonished by it. And he places such a high standard then to say that no one is good, nothing is good except God. I mean, apart from this whole concept, apart from God, this whole concept is subjective. Any of us could decide what is good and what isn't good. Apart from God, this whole good thing has a huge problem. Because ultimately, only God is good. I mean, when God created the world, the Scriptures tell us this. God saw all that He made, and it was very what? Good. The Bible then says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the what? Good of those who love Him. And in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, in the book of Psalms, which is kind of like their song book, it says this, for the Lord is what? Good. Yeah, good. His love endures forever. Well, Jesus continues on with this young, affluent, high-achieving kind of guy, and he tries to help him to understand that what you're saying is, is not there, that only God is good. And so Jesus asked him, Do you know the commandments? Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. 
Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And then I think it is just amazing what this guy's response is. Look at what it says. He says, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. All of them. I've done them all. I've never broken any of them. You know, I was thinking, maybe the guy just had a bad memory, you know, like when he was a child. Maybe he fell down and hit his head, and he just doesn't remember some of the things. I mean, can you imagine that he never stole anything? Not a, you know, paper clip, not a stapler, not an answer from another person's test paper, not a dime from his mom's purse, not a copy from the copy machine at work. Some of you should feel bad right now. I mean, do you believe that he completely honored his mother and father all the time, even when he got a curfew and he got grounded and everything else? That he always showed proper respect, never told a half-truth to make sure that he got out of a sticky situation? And yet he boldly states, I've obeyed all the commands. I've got straight A's on my report card when it comes to the Ten Commandments. I've done that since I was a boy. I have met perfection. You see, this guy has a problem that you and I and most people really have. And it's this. That we often see ourselves better than we actually are. It's called a self-serving bias, is what psychologists say. In other words, the things that we do good... Man, we blow those things up to be huge things. Almost like walking on water Jesus stuff. And then those things that we do bad, we just kind of put way down there and we don't talk about those and those aren't lifted up very much. All of our achievements, we just enlarge them. And many times we just ignore those small things that are bad. Those are just small. We are very good at having a self-serving kind of bias. For example, think about prisoners in prison. Most of them, if you ask them, hey, do you think you're a good guy? They'd say, oh yeah, I'm a good guy, man. I just got a bad break. I mean, all these other guys in here, those are the bad ones. You know? Or I read a story this week. Amazing. Robert Kraft, he's a convicted serial killer. He's on death row for torturing and killing 16 men. And they believe that he's probably killed over 60. And I'm reading this article, and I got down you know, to the bottom of it, and it said this, that the serial killer is seeking $62 million against an author and publisher for a book about his serial murder cases. And this is the reason why. He smeared my good name and portrayed me as a sick and twisted man, thereby ruining my chances for future employment. You see, friends, this self-serving thing, it runs deep. It runs deep in all of us. It runs deep in me. This past week, as I was thinking about this concept of goodness, I was really trying to think, God, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. And I got kind of sucked in to the role of the guy that we were just talking about in our story this morning. And I was like, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good dad, pastor of this church, I'm nice to people. This summer, all these things that we've been teaching on, the fruits of the Spirit, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And if you haven't got any of those, you should pick them up. They're free. The CD's in the back. I thought, you know what? I'm working at these things. I'm trying to do some things to fulfill these fruits in my life. So I'm praying, and I'm like, God, you know, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Could you just, you know, if there's anything in my life that you think is not good, please let me know. And this is what I sense. That, that God didn't speak to me, just a prompting. SeaWorld. I'm thinking, SeaWorld? God, I love Shamu. You know? 
I mean, I love the big whale. I love dolphins. I love SeaWorld. I just took my family there in May. Ah, then it hit me. It was the end of the week. We had uh, the memorial service for my uncle in May. We were all in Florida. We get to the end of the week. We get out of our condo. We have about six to seven hours to spare. I told Jennifer, hey, let's take the kids to SeaWorld. She's like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. We could only stay for half the day because our flight was leaving later that night. And so we get there, and we look up, and there is no half-day tickets. There are only full-day tickets. It was $82 for Jennifer and $82 for me. And we were only going to be there from 12.30 until 4.30 because we had to leave. And uh, we got up there, and Jen and I, we were honorable, and we went ahead and we paid for those two tickets. And uh, our one-year-old daughter, Shiloh, she's free. And then Jordan was three years old, and from three to nine, you had to pay $73. And Jennifer walked up to the kiosk. She's getting everything. She's like, hey, you know, uh, Jordan's three. I go, yeah, she just turned three like 14 days ago. We're not paying for it. She's like, oh, no. She goes, well, I, 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 I just wanted to ask you first. I really think she didn't want to pay for it either, but she just didn't want to admit it. <laughs> so it's on me, and I go, no, we're not paying for it. She goes, okay. So we do it. We, we walk through. They don't ask us anything. They're all pleasant. They're good. They're kind. They're loving. Everything's good. Well, this last week, I was just telling you, I was thinking about, man, I'm a pretty good guy. And then all of a sudden, it just hit me, SeaWorld. And I felt so convicted. I got out a check, wrote exactly what we would have paid for, Shiloh, or for Jordan, wrote a letter, said, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to be a Christian to show goodness. And I didn't do it. You see, it hit me this week. The problem with this world, folks, is people like me. It's people who think they're pretty good. But when push comes to shove of following Christ and doing what he calls us to do, we take a smaller route. You see, ultimately, Jesus said there is only one who is good. And he's put... The good standard, as high as it could be. God and God alone. And there's no selfishness in God. There's no self-serving biasness in God. There's no worry that God's not going to have enough money if He pays this amount for a half day at SeaWorld. It's all about others. It's all about serving. It's all about love. So Jesus tells this man that God and God alone is only good. And the man tells him that he has been good his whole life. He's never broken any of the Ten Commandments. And then Jesus goes one step further, and I love what it says in the Gospel of Mark. It says this, Jesus looked at him with love and said, One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus said, hey, you know what? You're right. You are good. You only lack one thing, one good thing. This past week, I saw a poster at Starbucks. And it only had, in the very center of it, a coffee bean. That's it. And then underneath it, there, were, there was this caption that said, Your drink starts here. And those of you who love Starbucks, your whole experience of Starbucks, folks, starts with one single coffee bean. And the same way, you know how your goodness journey starts as a person to be good? It starts with one small step towards God of saying, here's my heart, God. I'm surrendering to you. 
When God gets your heart and you surrender to Him, you're on the course to goodness with God. You see, the only thing that was missing in this guy's life was that God didn't have his heart. The issue really isn't about money. It's about heart. And God didn't have his heart. What was his heart? Money, wealth, affluence. It was all about him. Jesus pinpointed it with him. He was self-serving even though he had obeyed all the Ten Commandments. That's why sometimes people can go to church every single Sunday. They can know the Bible frontwards and backwards, but God doesn't have their heart because they're just nasty. But if you want goodness, if you want goodness in your life, only one thing can bring that about, and that is God having your heart. Let me say it again. Goodness always starts when the God of the universe comes to you and He takes your heart and you surrender your life to Him. You know, I was just thinking about this week. What would happen to our families? What would happen in our marriages? What would happen in this church? What would happen in our community if everybody, instead of putting your head down and walking away like this guy did, what if every single one of us, when God came and asked for anything, we said, you have my heart. Whatever it is, God, that you need, my money, my wealth, my time, my talents, whatever it is, you have my heart. I've surrendered to you. What would happen to our community? Well, you know what I think would happen? I think goodness would just break out altogether. We wouldn't have to wait until a mission in our community catches on fire before we become, you know, people of goodness, although all the things that people are doing is great. But if we live that kind of way where God had our heart 24-7, just imagine what kind of goodness would be breaking out all over the place. You've got my heart. I'm surrendered to you. And maybe that's what some of you need to do today. You've been coming here on and off. Maybe today is your first time ever. And you're here and you're thinking, no, God doesn't have my heart. But I want that. I want that kind of relationship where God has my heart and I can be surrendered to Him. Maybe for some of you... uh, you need to take the baptism class today. God's been having your seat here at the jar. He just hasn't had your full heart yet. And the baptism class comes up each time. You're like, oh, I'm thinking I'm going to do that. But you don't. But today might be the exact day that you'd say, you know what? I'm willing to surrender all that I have to God. Let God put goodness into your heart. Now, once you do that, the question becomes this. How do you grow in goodness? That's what we all want to know. How do we grow in this goodness? Well, there are a couple of primary ways that I think it happens in which we grow in goodness and we decrease in selfishness. First of all, you've got to put yourself in soul-building environment. You've got to put yourself in a soul-building environment. Jesus said this one time, Good people bring good things from the good stored up in them. You see, what happens is good people do good things because the goodness is just stored up in them, and pretty soon it just kind of overflows. They pursue good spiritual goals, and they allow the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, to just capture their heart to lead them in a life of goodness. Now, throughout this summer, we have been looking at one particular passage of Scripture about how we can grow in the areas of fruit in our lives. And it's going to come up on the screen. I'd like us to read this together. It's in Galatians chapter 5. And this is what it says. Let's read it together. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Folks, the only way that you grow in these fruits is by putting yourself in environments in which God, through His Holy Spirit, can pour His goodness 
into your life. The Bible tells us that Jesus went to the synagogue, the church of his day, every single week. Why? Because it built up his soul. We also learned that he was in a small group of 12 people that he hung out with for three years, doing life together. They traveled together. They learned together. They shared life together. They shared meals together. They cried together. They laughed together. Why did he do this? Because it built his soul and the soul of those around him. Goodness just kind of poured out as they went along. That's why in the Bible it says this to you and me. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another. Why? Because each Sunday that you're here and you consistently kind of do that and you bring your kids here as well, all of a sudden your soul grows and the soul of your kids grow. You know, I never quite understand people that say, you know, I want to be a follower of Christ. I call myself a Christian, but then they become so casual with church on Sunday or small groups or opening their Bible. Because I'm telling you folks, those are the type of environments, if you want to become the goodness kind of factor here, the way you do that is by putting yourself in an environment where your soul can grow. You know, it's funny, uh, I play golf and most of the time I play with people that aren't connected with God very much. And um, when I do that, they'll come up and uh, they'll say, you know what, Chris, the reason I don't come to church on Sunday is because I just feel so connected to God on the golf course. And I usually respond this way. I go, I know. You're praying all the time for, you know, yeah. I mean, if your score is as bad as mine, you need all the prayer. And other people on the golf course should be praying as well. Folks, many of us just have an accelerator to the floor in this thing called life. We wake up early in the morning, we go to bed late at night, and we're just doing things constantly. And we just don't stop and we don't think about God. We don't think about Him enough. We don't give our soul any attention. You know, one of the things that I've had to start doing so that I'm thinking about God more, I set my uh, uh, clock to my cell phone every hour to go off. The staff hates it. We'll be in a staff meeting all of a sudden, oh gosh, thinking about God again, you know. That's the only way I know how to do it. So throughout the day, I think about it. Here's the bottom line, folks. If you want to grow in God's kind of goodness, you have to put yourself in environments where you can grow. Being here consistently and with your kids. Um, being a part of a small group. And if you're not, you know, we'll start some this fall and you can be a part of some of them. Reading your Bible regularly. You don't have to read a whole big long time. Two, three, four, five minutes just to do it consistently. And when you open yourself up to those kind of things, God's activity just has a natural way of working in your life. Here's a second way that you grow in goodness. And it's by committing to serving others. You commit to serve others. You know, to be good is to be good for something. I mean, any of us can be good for nothing, right? But we want to be good for something. The Bible says this, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You were prepared to do good works. That's why God created you. To do good things. Proverbs says this, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. Now, doing goodness, you have to realize there probably is a cost. There isn't probably. There is a cost to doing goodness. If you're going to get rid of your self-serving nature, there's going to be some inconvenience in your life at times. It's going to cost you something. It demands your time. It might even get you beyond whatever your comfort zone level is. 
But the happiest people in the world, folks, are not those folks in Orlando, Florida, at amusement parks where Magic Kingdom and everything is magic. The happiest people in the world that I know are those who are constantly serving others and giving their life away. They've even done medical studies that people live longer who have lived lives of service. That's why Jesus said this, and let's read it together. It is more blessed to give. See, look at that. You all lost me. It's not up there, is it? (laughs) There are some people in the church I can look at and they go, I'm with you, but it ain't up there. (laughs) All right, here we go. Let's do this together, okay? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's say it again. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Folks, the only people that don't know the truth about that are those people who've never tried it. And I want to share a story with you this morning about a person here in our own midst who tried it and it changed her life. Nineteen years ago, at the age of 20, Joellen Van Winkle was walking out of her place of employment when her husband, who she had recently just had uh, a divorce from, walked up to her, pulled out a gun, shot her in the head, and then shot himself. He died seven days later. She, 19 years later, is still alive, but is paralyzed from the neck down. Throughout this time, there's been a woman in our church, a woman by the name of Brenda Sutherland, who reached out to Joe Ellen and has spent some time every single week for almost 19 years, every single week, going in and showing God's goodness to her. And uh, I'd just invite you to uh, join me in welcoming Brenda to come and share her story. We even got water for you, Brenda. Look at that. <laughs> That's a good one. Someone down here said, can you get up there? <laughs> Jump. Look at that. Yay, Brenda. All right. Are you on? Good. Um, well, Brenda, thanks so much for coming and uh, sharing your story with us today. And... Um, I know that in talking with you and Joe Ellen, I, I met with them a couple of weeks ago at their house, at Joe Ellen's house, and uh, <laughs> found out that you guys really didn't hit it off very well to begin with. Could you kind of uh, share that with us? Well, am I talking too loud? No, you're good. <laughs> okay. Well, um, my niece, uh, Tracy, is married to Joe Ellen's brother, Todd. And I have to say that Tracy... She had a special part, uh, a place in my heart because her mother died when she was six days old. And so Tracy was at home with us when Kathy and I were still in high school, and we loved her very much, and, and you just don't mess with family is what I'm getting at. <laughs> and I had heard that well, Tracy and um, uh, Joellen were close to the same age, and I had heard through my mother that Tracy had had her feelings hurt a few times by Joellen. And Tracy's such a kind, meek person that, I mean, she would probably never stand up for herself. Well, this really ticked me off, and I didn't like it. <laughs> and you don't mess with Tracy. <laughs> okay. So, uh, first time you met Joellen, we weren't very happy, not very uh, no, good that way. No, um, we were planning on going to a wedding shower at Joellen's house that her and her mother had put on. And me and my three sisters, Judy, Kathy, and and me, the three of us, we had discussed that we weren't going to put up with her crap. (laughs) And I told them, I said, this is not going to happen. We'll play havoc there because she's not messing with Tracy. And, and you know, she's just not going to get away with it. And if she does anything, I'm going to take care of it. I'm just going to tell her what I think of it. (laughs) Okay. So, uh... Then uh, Joellen has her uh, tragic kind of accident, 
Yeah. And um, what kind of happened next? Well, when Joellen had the accident, Dave and I were down at the lake, and uh, I hadn't gave it much thought anymore about Joellen because actually she was pretty nice at the shower, so I didn't have any reason to jump her. <laughs> but it didn't mean I liked her because I thought, you know, she messed with Tracy, and I don't like it. Well, anyway, we get a call from my daughter, Julie, that Joellen has been shot by her husband. And she had tried, she was getting, she had got a divorce from him, and she left him because he was doing crack cocaine. And she couldn't live it anymore. And um, anyway, Julie says, Mom, I don't think Joellen's going to live. And, um, you know, she's in this coma, and if she does live, she, you know, if she comes out of it, she'll be a vegetable. So I just said, well, you know, let's send some flowers. And I was mainly sending them for Todd. Uh, you know, because he's the one I thought a lot of. <laughs> but, um, and I wasn't thinking bad things about Joellen at the time. I was sad about it, but I didn't dwell on it a lot. Yeah. And then I know you were telling me that you had a series of times where you were driving uh, by the hospital. And, yeah. and tell me, tell us about that. Yeah. Well, um, I thought about Joellen some, but, but not a lot, you know, and I, I did give her some thought. And actually at that time I wasn't going to church. I wasn't reading the Bible. I always believed in God, and I always have. But, you know, you go in and out of times in your life, and I was just busy with my life. <laughs> so I would get in the car, and we lived out by Alexandria, and I would get in the car and I would drive to Muncie, and I always had, we had to go 332. And I would get this feeling in my inside me that was just a pulling to go to that hospital. I mean, I didn't do it. <laughs> I would just ignore it and go on. But after several times when I would get into that car and head for Muncie, I just did it one day. I, I went up to the hospital, and her dad was standing outside the door, and she had been in a coma at this time for three months. And... He didn't even really recognize me because I just saw him, I think, one time at the wedding or something. But um, he thought I was just a friend. And he said, well, I'll let you be alone with her. I went in and talked to her some. And she didn't even look like I remembered her because I had been feeding her um, these liquids. And she was bloated up and had put on a lot of weight. But, but I talked to her, and I went back a few times after that and talked to her. And so God gives you this prompting, this urge, yes. uh, as you're uh, driving by the hospital, and you start visiting her. Yes. And um, I know we were talking, you kind of thought it was going to be a short-term kind of gig. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Tell, me, tell me what happened after that. Well, she came too, and everybody was surprised. She came around, and everybody thought she's going to be this vegetable, but she wasn't. She's a very smart, intelligent person, and uh, she was taken to a nursing home. And so the part of her brain that was injured was, I guess, her motor skills, well, you know, so she's a quadriplegic, but, but she's very smart and intelligent, and she couldn't talk for a while, and a male nurse helped her get her voice back. And she still can't really speak loud. She can only whisper because of the trait that was in her throat for so long. But... Um, Anyway, uh, when she came around, she was afraid because she didn't. She knew something had happened, but she was still afraid that her husband was out there and he was going to come and get her. And at that time, nobody really knew how much she knew. But when she was able to speak, I, I kept coming and I was reading to her. And, and you were like coming that. weekly. I mean, yeah, I was coming you. weekly to see her. And I was reading to her and talking to her, and one day when she was able to speak again, she just looked at me and she says, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I told her that, that I thought that God had put in me that through this that she was going to need another friend, and she was going to need an older friend. And she had her mother. I, wasn't, I said, I'm not trying to, to act like your mother or be your mother but I think you're going to need another friend. And I just, I, God has sent me here, and I just, I just, I want to help you. And what are some of the things that you've done out of the goodness that God has for you that you've done with uh, Joellen over the years? Oh, well, we, as far as me and Joellen doing stuff together, yeah. well, God has put us together. One time we went, we, we, uh, I signed her out of the nursing home as Aunt Brenda. 
<laughs> and we, we went shopping like for 10 hours together. And it was a blast. We were ready to kill each other when we got back because we were both so tired. But um, uh, she's just done so much for me. I mean, she's such a special person, and she's bright, intelligent. And if, you know, you can get so much from just learning to know someone. I didn't like her. And I thought, I don't like her, and I don't know why I'm here, but here I am. And as we grew to know each other... I love her. <laughs> and I know one of the things that you do now is that she, something with her fingers. She oh, yeah. I knew she was a you know, really, really, really picky person, and um, she just picky about everything, you know, and she still is. But I knew that one thing that, that she liked that she had told me about was her nails, because I, I knew that she had always had perfect nails. And so that's one thing that we do together when I get with her is, we clip her nails and we paint her nails and we're always looking for different polishes and we discuss, well, which one are we going to use today? Well, what color do you think going to be wearing this week? <laughs> so, they so, had, she had Colts blue on when yeah. I went and they're like, this is our Colts. And yeah. uh, I was like, wow, that's cool. Yeah, so I'm always looking for like some kind of weird off polish to put on her because she loves it. So if anybody's got anything really neat that you don't see real often, I want it. <laughs> So within the months after this, her friends just started kind of flying away. But you stood within 19 years, I mean, almost on a weekly basis kind of doing that. Brenda, that's such a powerful thing. I just wonder what you would share with people about what kind of goodness, um, what it does to you, and what challenge you would kind of give to them. Well, you know... If you want to step out there and help somebody and you're afraid, I mean, just do it. Take the chance. I mean, it, it may not end up to be 19 years, but it, it may be someone that just needs help for a little bit, just getting back on their feet or just, it doesn't have to be forever. I mean, our friendship, she's done so much for me. I mean, when I first started doing this with Joelle and I thought, oh, you know, this is going to be an obligation because I'm kind of stuck in here now. But it hasn't been an obligation. We are the best friends. And she, she's even called my house sometimes. She gets these premonition-type things, and she'll have somebody call me and want to make sure everybody is okay because she thinks something's going on with her family. I mean, that's the closeness with, that we share. But, I mean, just step out, and I guarantee you, you'll get a super high. Better than anything you can get from smoking. <laughs> <laughs> And we won't say smoking what, but smoking. we'll go on. Cigarettes. <laughs> Only God, uh, you know, is ultimately good. Um, but thank you for sharing your story of goodness today. And uh, we're going to show a little video clip. This is of uh, Joellen when uh, she was in high school and then kind of the progression of this. So uh, let's give Brenda a hand. Joellen singing this kind of last time she was able to sing so Brenda's given us a big challenge today. Um, I, I personally want to do good things like Brenda did. I want to have that kind of goodness more in my life. 
But let's be honest, folks. Doing good things takes time and energy, and sometimes it takes 19 years of day or week in, week out, just kind of doing that. It takes time. It takes money and energy within us. But the Bible tells us this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Friends, this week I just want to challenge you to do something good. And we've given you kind of an ability to do that through our uh, little free card here, if you want to pull that out in your program. And... um, I realize that we do this once a month, and sometimes people probably get these and they're just kind of like, okay, and it gets thrown away. But I just really want to encourage you and challenge you, do something with it this week. It doesn't have to be anything big or huge, but something small that shows goodness to people around you. And then give them the card to let them know that we want to be the type of church that's doing good things for people. And who knows, God this week just might put a Joellen in your life that 19 years later, you'll look back and you'll go, man, I'm so glad on that particular week, I didn't just sit back, but I actually invested my life to do goodness. Because it's so true, and it's something that we say here at the JAR all the time, small things done with great love will change the what? The world. It'll change the world. So let's do something this week and not be good for nothing this week. And then let's come back together. Tonight, you have an opportunity to go and serve a a meal at the mission. Monday, you have at 4.30 to serve a meal. Next Saturday, if you're more of one of those people that's like, I don't do that kind of thing, but the thing that I do is I'm good with hammers or working, you know, on on Saturday, you can sign up today in the back. And say, you know what, I'm going to give a couple hours uh, to rebuild Delaware County. And then next week we'll all come back together and it'll be like an army of not do-gooders, okay, but an army of lovers of goodness that we go out and we do good at the Gus Macker Tournament. So friends, today is the day to do good. For you to become the hands and the feet of Jesus. So you ready to go for it? Go for it. All right, let's stand and sing. Dear gracious God,
to do acts of goodness and kindness to those that we meet. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Uh, We'll see you tonight at the mission. Thanks. If you want prayer for anything, come on up. Blessed be your name. Blessed be.